welcome each of you. And I say as we begin, Happy Easter. Amen. We're glad you're here. And uh, today I am going to wrap up a series that I've simply called Good News. But today it's the good news of Easter. It's good news about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection is not just an event. It is the event. It's the whole ball game. It's everything. The death and resurrection of Christ makes possible our salvation. It changes everything. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was walking around on the planet, uh, he had... At the time of his death, approximately 500 followers. There were his 12 uh, chosen disciples. Uh, Later in scripture, you see there was a group of 120. Uh, But in just a moment, we're going to see the number 500, uh, referencing the small group of people who had chosen to believe in him uh, during his three-and-a-half-year earthly ministry. They were followers. The word disciple literally means follower. Uh, It means learner. And so today, I I don't know if you've done the math on this or not, but today, 2,000 years later, uh, we have seen the church of Jesus Christ grow from 500 people at the time of his death to what the statistic tell us there are 2.4 billion, that's with a B, billion people who profess that they believe Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God. They believe he walked and lived on planet earth, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, and that he rose again, and he lives, and he is coming again someday. 2.4 billion people claim to profess this belief. Uh, How can I tell you how many people that is? That's one out of three people on the planet. That's more people than there are in China. Uh, That's more people than there are in China and in Europe together. In fact, it's more people than than there are in China Europe and the United States all combined together. And it is remarkable when you study how from that humble beginning, the 12, the 120, the upper room, the gathering, the 500, we're going to read about in God's Word in just a moment. But when you study it through, something happened that changed everything. Uh, and, and there really, there's a question that begs to be offered. What was it that changed everything that turned Peter from someone who was not willing to stand up for Christ, someone who denied Christ? What was it that changed him and made him bold and willing to die for Christ? Not just Peter. Peter takes all the, the heat. But the truth is, all of the followers, the the 12, Judas, of course, having betrayed Christ, but all the others ran for cover as well. Uh, I want to 
point your attention today to God's Word. And I'd like to read this verse together with you because it, it, it encapsulates the very essence of Easter. Because when we talk about the good news about the resurrection, and this is really the second week I've been talking about this, there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 15. A man by the name of Saul, who would be Paul, inspired of God, wrote something. Uh, I, I believe this passage is in your outline, so you have it in your notes, but it's also on the screen. And I want to ask you to not just read this out loud, but hear these words with your heart. Would you join me on this Easter Sunday morning? Join me. We'll, we'll read this together. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all. Paul, a man got inspired to write these words a few short months prior to writing this inspired passage of scripture was a man who had been inspired by something entirely different. Saul of Tarsus had been inspired by his hatred for this new sect of followers in Judaism who chose to follow Christ. And he had sought legal papers to seek them out and kill them. We know from scripture in Acts chapter 6, he was there when Stephen, the first martyr following the death of Christ, the first Christian martyr, when he was stoned. And we, we know that Saul had a passion to destroy and kill everyone who professed that Jesus Christ was Lord. But while on his way to the city of Damascus for the express intent and purpose of killing more Christians, he had an, an encounter. He had an encounter with the risen Christ. And immediately he, he traveled on, finished his trip, blinded by the light of Jesus Christ, and he went to Damascus, and there he met with a group of believers. First, he received his sight, and there his faith began to grow. And three years later, Paul went to Jerusalem, and there he met with all the rest of the Leaders of the church, for 15 days, Scripture says, he met with Peter and James and the other leaders. It's, it's interesting, and I, I try not to talk original languages a lot because the truth is, uh, you know, there's something to be gained, but we're not going to, in a couple of minutes on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, uh, learn to, to speak Koine Greek fluently. But there's, there's the word in the passage of Paul's discovery and what happened as he went to Jerusalem for that 15-day period. It's the Greek word historia. We kind of recognize that because our English word has grown out of that history. And, and what it says is he went there 
to get the history of what had happened from the eyewitnesses who were there when Jesus Christ walked the earth. Uh, I, I, I can't tell you how, it impor- how important it is for us as believers to understand just a couple of things about the reliability of God's word. Because the world we live in, you know, I'm amazed it's, it's more and more common for people to spread fake news or to advocate a lie. And, and I, I meet people every day who say the Bible is a fairy tale for adults. And I ask them, have you ever read it? And they always say the same thing. No, I, I haven't. But, but God's word is inspired and it's true and, it, and it's accurate. Not only does the Bible contain the story of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, but there are at least five other secular historians who record the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they are all early. In other words, closely connected to the events. Uh, how many of you have heard of, I know this is, a, this is a group of great scholarship and highly educated group. How, how many of you ever heard of Alexander the Great? Huh? You, you ever heard of him along the way? Do you realize that the first written biography on him did not come until 400 years after he was dead? And no one questions, did Alexander the Great live? The, the, the people who recorded Scripture were eyewitnesses. I, and then Scripture even goes so far as to say that after he rose from the dead, he, was, he walked around among the people for 40 days. Can you imagine somebody who was on the crucifixion detail, one of the Roman soldiers, is walking down the road, and he sees this guy he killed and put in the grave. And maybe he heard the rumor. Uh, you know, you've heard Scripture even tells us the rumor that, that after he rose from the dead, they paid the guards to say, go tell a lie, that his body was stolen. But here he is walking around. The body was not stolen. He was alive. And, and, and there is something we miss sometimes when we fail to take a moment to think through the, the power of what Scripture records, and, and I'm going to give you the clincher for me before I tell you really three exciting truths and promises that come because of the resurrection. But this group who formerly had fled suddenly are changed. And, and there's only one answer as to what changed them. Because everything Jesus said before he died, they were signing on to, but it wasn't enough for them to be willing to die for. But after the resurrection, after they had seen Jesus Christ, after their doubt had been shoved aside, and they believed that he was who he said he was, they become energized with a boldness, with a courage that resulted in their willingness to die for the risen Savior. And, and really, it comes to the same issue for us today. Our, our willingness to live for Christ, and very few of us are called to die for Christ, 
But the truth is, it's tougher in some ways to live for him. And there is one thing that will give you the boldness, that will give you the ability to stand up and be counted for the name of Jesus Christ. And of the 2.4 billion people on the planet, I'm quite confident not everyone has embraced the power of the resurrection and removed all doubt and believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that truly he is alive. There are many that come to church on an Easter Sunday. It's not that you doubt it in the back of your head. You say, yeah, I, I believe it. But do you believe it enough to allow it to make you be willing to die? Or as I've said, to live for him? I think that's the most important thing that a lot of people miss when it comes to what God's word has to say. Five Hundred witnesses is absolute evidence. No way could that many people have gotten together and put a conspiracy together. So with the good news comes some amazing promises. I'm going to look at three of them today. These are three benefits of embracing the good news. Here they are. Number one, good news is found in those who believe in the resurrection because they have nothing to fear. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the number one fear in the world is the fear of dying. Because of the resurrection, we do not have to fear dying. I remember what my dad said on his deathbed, and I've shared with you before, my dad uh, was kicked out of hospice care three times. And uh, he just kept, we'd go down. You know, one time I got a call. Uh, I was out of the country because I had checked with the doctor. said, is he going to die? And I, I made the trip and I got a call. And Kathy and I, after being just 24 hours in Scotland, got on a plane and came back. And when I came back and we got there, by the time we got there, he was sitting up eating. And I thought, didn't you have enough dignity to die after we come back all this way? <laughs> In fact, I, I called him from Atlanta and said, Dad, I'm doing my best to get there before you go. gone. He, he very weak voice. He says, don't, don't feel bad. He says, but you won't make it. I'll be gone before you get here. And three times they kicked him out of hospice. We couldn't figure it out. I think he just liked getting the family together. He, he, he really did. And every time we all dropped everything and went running. But he was always perplexed. I, I share this with someone this week. My dad was a simple man in his faith, and, and he just believed that God's word was true in regards to the promises and in regards to the promises concerning giving. I didn't know this as a kid growing up, but my dad triple tithed. Why? Because if tithing was good and double tithing was better, triple tithing had to be the best of all. Why did he do that? I, I, it didn't hurt our family. I knew at times things were tight. But there, there was something that happened to that man who came back from World War II, who had, had lived a, a life that was anything other than what a Christian life was. He met a resurrected Savior, and he was changed, and he was born again. And, and, and I saw that. I watched that happen. It was the oldest of, of our kids. But he, he told me right before he died, Dad, 
looked at me and said, son, I thought Jesus was coming back before I died. I really didn't want to die. I wanted to go home with him when the trumpet sounded. How, how many of that sounds pretty good, huh? To be honest. We don't know what death's like. We haven't been there before. Uh, other than Jesus, you know, there's a couple other passages in scriptures of people, but most of us are not going to talk to somebody who died, went, and came back. It's the big unknown. But Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, he has conquered death. We know it can be done. We do not have to fear death. Next time you drive by a cemetery, how many of you drive by a cemetery every now and then? Just roll down your window. Roll down the window. Who rolls down a window anymore? <laughs> push, push the button. I don't even know why we say that anymore. Push the button. Let your window go down. Stick your head out as you drive by the cemetery and yell out loud, Death, you lose! Because death has been conquered, amen? Every time I go to the cemetery, I think of that, of those places in the ground that hold the remains of believers who will come forth because those who are dead in Christ will precede those who are alive. Let me show you a couple of verses here that give us assurance of what I'm saying here that those who believe in the resurrection have nothing to fear. Would you look at the first verse here? It's in your notes. Uh, we're looking at, first of all, today, Romans chapter 8, verse 38. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from, the, from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. There it is. You have nothing to fear. Death cannot separate you from God's love. There is no fear that can paralyze you when it comes to the confidence we should have in God's love. One more verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I love this passage. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You see, Jesus not only promised to save us, he promised to keep us saved, to finish the work. And so you don't ask Jesus to save you by faith and say, okay, I got it from here. I'll live good and I'll hang on to this. Because Jesus not only saved us by faith, but he keeps us saved. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did. Let me show you the next promise. There's good news. Here it is. The cross and the resurrection prove God's unconditional love. Uh, it is absolutely certain that God loves us. God is never going to stop loving you. Never, never, never. You can't make God stop loving you. You can try, but you fail because God's love isn't based on who we are or what we do. It's based on his character, and God is love. That's what the Bible says. The only reason you're able to love is because he loved you first. God says, I made you. And I've given you the capacity to love others. That's not something of our own ability. God's love through Jesus Christ is the greatest proof 
of unconditional love. And it's the biggest reason why Christianity exploded together with the truth of the resurrection. You see, the gospel is not a message of hate. It's not a message that is to be carried with armies and the sword. The gospel message, the good news, is a message about God's love. And you don't force it down people's throat. You model it for them and you live it for them and they see Christ in you. And that's what the early followers of Jesus did. All the places in the Bible we read that go, yeah, that's in there, but I don't know about that. Turning the other cheek, loving your neighbor as yourself. Those are the things that early New Testament Christians did. And when you follow the church in the early days, it went from those few hundred. There'll be more people here today in our services, in this one local church, not even counting our sister church, the Word Church, who's meeting right now. There's going to be more people here today in our services than there were followers of Christ at the time of his death. But within a few days following his resurrection and his walking around Jerusalem and people like Peter being changed from a coward to a courageous soldier for Jesus, there was radical change. And it went from just a few people to thousands on the day of Pentecost. Most early church historians believe that the early church in Jerusalem, the one church, and they were going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the earth. But just the Jerusalem church alone uh, had over 150,000 people in it. Because daily in the temple and in how many houses? If you know the verse, every house. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Let me back this up with a couple of verses. Let me take you, first of all, to a scripture that, that tells us how God is love. John writes about this. And so, 1 John chapter 4, verse number 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It's impossible. You know what? You meet somebody who's an angry old coot. They're just absolutely crotchety and angry. You can pretty well mark it down. They don't know Jesus. Or for that moment, they've turned their back on him. When you love God, you just got to love other people because his love is in you. Let's go to the next verse. The verse that you probably had read to you as a small child, John 3.16. In the New Living Translation, here's how it reads. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. I, I said before, I... I took all of our children, all three of our children, and, and held them in my arms within seconds of them being born. Uh, Mindy, the first one, took a little longer because it took me a little time after I passed out to get up and get, get in the game. And so when I finally got in the game and I was holding Mindy, I quoted John 3.16 to her. I wanted that to be some of the first words she heard other than what the doctor said. Get the smelling salts, he passed out, you know. I know she heard that before John 3.16. But when I quoted that to my kids, there was such a sense, and many of you have done the same thing. 
And that gave me such a sense of peace to know that although our children were being born into a harsh and cruel and evil world, I could be confident that God's love was greater. That's the good news about the resurrection is God's love is unconditional. And I've been a pastor for over 40 years and I have seen nasty people. I have seen men that are cruel and evil. I have seen them changed to good and gentle men. I have seen the power of the good news of the cross and the resurrection change women from people you wouldn't want to know to people who gave unselfishly of themselves to others. And that's good news. The life-changing power of the resurrection because of God's unconditional love. Let me give you one last piece here. The good news relating to the resurrection that gives us certainty that we can go to heaven when we die. I, I meet a lot of people who, uh, who seem to, to not believe that you can know for sure. They kind of got to, you got to find out when you get there, approach to heaven. But according to scripture, you can be certain you're going to heaven. And, and I have to ask that question, every one of us here today. Are you sure? If you were to die today and, and, and you would stand in front of God and, and God would say, why should I let you into this perfect and beautiful place called heaven? What would your answer be? Would, would you say, well, I've tried to do my best. That, that wouldn't work. Would you say I was kind or did more good than I did bad? That, that certainly wouldn't work because none of us are sinless and none of us are perfect. And heaven is a perfect place created by a perfect Savior. And our only hope is the resurrection, life-changing power of the blood of Christ that will wash our sins away. If you could get to heaven by just being a nice person, what was the purpose of the cross? There was no need for it. The cruelty of the cross, the awful death that Christ suffered. We who are followers of Christ have been given this promise that heaven is our home, and yet we still doubt. And, and I know we do. We doubt because of the moments we turn away and we think of other things that distract us and take our attention away. I'm going to ask you to do something with me now. Would you do this? Would everybody stand? I, I, I want to I read our last couple of passages here. But I, I have a prayer. I, I just, I deeply want for us to pray together. A little different, maybe. I don't, I, want, I don't want us to bow our heads. I don't want you to close your eyes. But I know that the love of Christ is unconditional. And I know that Scripture says we can go to heaven when you die. Let, let me just read to you a couple of verses here. 1 Peter 1.4 says, we have a priceless inheritance, an inherent, inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. That's pretty certain. And then 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, that is what scripture means when we say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 
And these verses are conclusive. They're certain. God is preparing. John 14, the whole passage has to do with a promise about a place called heaven being prepared for yet us. And yet we still doubt. And we may not say the words out loud that I doubt. But we oftentimes show our doubt by our unwillingness to trust God. I, uh, I have one more verse. When I ask the question, how can I be certain I will go to heaven? I want to read to you John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, speaking to Thomas, by the way, we often refer to him as doubting Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus offered eternal life, but he said, you got to come through me. Paul in the book to the Romans, he said, if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus Christ, you confess him and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you, you shall be saved. And, and, and really today, that is the message of Easter, that the resurrection makes it possible for us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been saved. I said I wanted to do something different. I, uh, you can see this as a prayer. You can see this as an affirmation of what you have already believed. Or if you're here today and you do not know for sure that Jesus Christ has come into your life, if you can't remember a time and a place where you confessed to Jesus that you admit you're a sinner and you believe he, Jesus, is who he said he was, God in human flesh, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross, and rose again. If there's never been a time when you have affirmed that and confessed Christ as Lord with your mouth, believing in your heart, then I want you to think through this prayer. And this may be the beginning of the moment when you come to terms with the fact that there is only one way, and that scripture on the screen is that way, only through Christ. And so I'm going to ask you to pray something with me out loud. Again, I'm not asking you to, to close your eyes. I want you to see it on the screen. I want you to join me in reading it out loud. For those who have already been born again, this is not getting saved again. This is affirming what you believe. But if you're here today and do not know Jesus, this can be your prayer of salvation. If you're ready to admit that you're a sinner and confess Jesus as Lord, Pray this from a heart of repentance and ask Jesus to save you. And so join me today when, when we say and read out loud. Would you join me? Dear Jesus, today I believed you proved you are God by coming back to life after your crucifixion. I admit today that I am not perfect and that my sinfulness separates me from you. I now ask for your forgiveness. I believe your death on the cross paid for my sins. I receive you into my life. Please save me today. I ask you to give me strength to overcome my weaknesses. I commit to live the rest of my life connected to Christian community. I trust you to take me to heaven when I die. Salvation is not a result of repeating a prayer. It's a result of a heart that is repentive 
and truly confesses to Christ a humility and a repentance of sin. I'm going to ask you to bow with me for prayer. We're going to close with a song, a worship moment today. But if you're here today and you prayed this prayer, possibly meaning it for the first time, that you want more than anything else to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you prayed and asked him to save you today, and this, you believe, is the beginning of a new life in Christ, I'm going to ask you quietly while heads are bowed, nobody's looking around. I want to give you a chance to affirm that. I want to give you a chance to, to stand tall. And I'm going to ask you to do that by raising your hand toward heaven right now. Would you say, today I ask Jesus to save me. God bless you. Yeah. Those of us who've already professed him, it is a prayer of affirmation. But it's my hope and prayer today, if you have any doubt at all, you'll get it settled before you leave here today. Lord, we come to you now. We worship you. We acknowledge that you are alive. We ask today for you to speak to every person's heart here. Thank you for those you have saved, who have hope and peace. And for those today who maybe prayed for the first time and confessed that they needed you in their life, Lord, help them to begin a new life of faith and confidence and trust in you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.